0: Well, good morning. Welcome to church. Let me add to Lauren's welcome. It's great to have you here with us this morning. And we are in week four of our series on Jonah. So if you've got your Bibles, I'm going to be reading from Jonah chapter three in a few moments time. Uh, You can grab that and get ready. But last week we heard Tom preach very well uh, from home. And uh, he was speaking about this idea of God's mercy making the first move. Um, you know Jonah too and the, the message that he brought was all around this this prayer that Jonah had and this repentance even though it wasn't explicit in in Jonah's attitude um, and how God's mercy led to that repentance and repentance is not just um, not doing the wrong thing repentance is actually turning around and doing the right thing it's that turn of um, action of idea of thought from what is not right towards what is right Uh, and again we're going to see this uh, theme of repentance come very strongly through uh, Jonah chapter 3 and when we experience the mercy of God it leads to repentance and genuine repentance leads to forgiveness and Tom talked about this idea that forgiveness is for you but it's not just for you forgiveness is for the believer but it's also for anyone who needs to experience God, for anyone who is separated from God, which is everybody. And we're going to see that again um, today that forgiveness was for Jonah, but it was also for for the Ninevites, and that that message comes so so strongly through here in chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles, if you're ready to go, let's dive into chapter 3, short little chapter, 10 verses, and let's see what God wants to speak to us about this morning says this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. And Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. And when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh, by order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God, Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. Let's pray together. God, this morning we thank you again for your word. God, we thank you that you want to speak to us this morning that you want to challenge our hearts, you want to encourage us towards you. And God, we really pray this morning that we would um, hear your voice in a fresh way, in a life-changing way. God, I pray that you would help us to rid ourselves of distractions around the home uh, and help us to lean in to, to your voice this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you like this. Uh, I. I'm like this, if I've, if I've got a goal in mind, if I've got a target in mind, um, especially when it comes to like, I've got a basketball ring in the backyard and if I'm shooting around and, and having some fun, oh, I always give myself like an extra chance. If I, if I miss a shot, I'm like, I'm just gonna give myself another chance. I can get it, I can get it, I can get it. And after 10 times and you still don't get it, you give yourself another chance. You, you think, and uh, maybe that's just me, I just have to give myself more and more chances. Or um, if you've got young kids, or older kids perhaps, Um, you know, there's an element as a a parent, you want to give them another chance, another chance. You know, you threaten them with something maybe um, that you think, oh, I don't know if I can actually follow through on that. And so you just keep giving them more and more chances until they um, get through. We don't like to see ourselves fail. We don't like to see other people fail. So we like to give extra chances. You know, God's grace is similar to this, except it's not because he's not willing to follow through on a thread. Um, But because he loves us so much, because he desires relationship with us so much, he gives us this chance again and again and again. He never relents in his ability to give us another chance. He loves and he cannot not love. It's who he is. It's what he does. It's a part of how he operates. God is love. It tells us that in 1 John. And the father loves Jonah. He loves Jonah so much that he is willing to go to whatever lengths to get his attention and to give him another chance in the most dramatic way. He says, here is another chance, Jonah. I want you to go to Nineveh. And that's exactly how the chapter, this chapter starts out. That the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Another chance. Because Jonah, so far in the story, has done anything but follow God's plan for his life. He's done anything but obey. He has just run the opposite direction. He's gone as far as he could away from God and his plan and run away. He got swallowed by a fish. He got stuck in the belly for three days and three nights and was vomited up on shore. And then God came to him again and says, go to Nineveh. The plan is still the same. The opportunity for you to be a part of what I'm a part of is still the same. Go again. So Jonah has really um, royally stuffed up. He has gone his own way and he didn't want anything to do with God's plan. And he has this moment of repentance. It's almost forced repentance. I I don't know if you read that into the story. You know, he gets thrown overboard and a fish comes and swallows it up and spits him out. It's like, oh, I suppose I'll I'll go now. Like what other option would he have had apart from to go? He can't even jump off a ship and, and die. He's... God is going to save him to to bring him to the plan he has for his life. God chases Jonah down and gives him this ultimatum. Turn around or I'll take you out. And God is in this business of second chances. And we've seen that through how God has been dealing with Jonah, the man of God, the prophet, the one who's supposed to be doing the right thing, you know, is not doing the right thing. And God is still one who keeps giving him another chance, keeps showing him his mercy through extreme measures, through storms, through fish, through all these things, God's mercy is being thrown at Jonah so that Jonah's uh, attention might be grabbed and so that he might turn and do the will that God has for his life. You know, God has a way to get our attention and he's doing all he can in every part of our life to get our attention, to reorientate our hearts towards the plan that he has for us. He's always after our hearts. He's always after our cooperation and our participation in the mission that he has for us. So he does this for Jonah. He gets his attention. He says to Jonah, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, preach the message that I tell you. So Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. And then he gets to Nineveh and says, now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. And, um, you know, we've talked about this in the first couple of weeks, that this whole book and this whole story of Jonah is a bit comical. It's a bit over the top. It's a bit almost exaggerated in, in all its parts. And this is no different um, it's probably only seven or eight miles. And so it wasn't, I mean, when it says a great city, a three day walk, it's sort of like a, trying to say it's a big thing. It's, it was an important city, it was a, it was a large city, um, but it's exaggerating it a, a, a bit. And it says in verse four Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. That's the message that he gets. So Jonah goes through all this. He gets to Nineveh. And this is his sermon. This is his big moment, his prophetic word to the Ninevites. In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Five words in Hebrew. No mention of God. No mention of what to do. No mention of who's saying this. No mention of love. Probably one of the worst sermons recorded. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, Brad, you're just lucky they weren't writing the Bible today because otherwise you might be making a above jonah there i'm joking or maybe not <laughs> but there was there was not much to this sermon there was no hook there was no intro there was no three points there was no witty statement there was no catchy lines it was just you guys are goners there's no hope for you 40 days whew, that's it you're gone this is the obedience of jonah you can almost hear him say Saying to God afterwards, there, I did it. I did what you told me. Sort of like the you know, when you ask your, your kids to pick up the clothes in the bedroom and they go in, pick up their clothes, just put a ball on the bed, walk out. I picked up my clothes, I did what you told me to do. It's like, oh, you did, but you missed the heart of what I was trying to get you to do. Jonah's like this little child doing what God's calling to do, but in a seemingly half hearted way. In this way that has no conviction no motivation no passion no love doesn't carry the heart of god but nevertheless um, god can use even the worst parts of our obedience god can use and we're going to see that it's incredible that we live like this so often half-hearted in our attempts to obey god we justify to ourselves while we aren't more generous while we aren't more loving why are we going to tell more people about Jesus? We always have a reason that, just to make ourselves feel a bit better. We justify the way we live. And Jonah had his reason too. Jonah had his reason why he didn't communicate the message maybe as well as he should have, why he didn't go in the first place. And you might think to yourself, well, Jonah was a bit of a, a fool. He was a bit of a coward. But when you understand, and I'm about to walk you through this, when you understand what Nineveh was about, who the people were there, who who the people were that lived there and and what sorts of things they did. You can understand Jonah's reluctance and his, even in the next chapter next week, his, even his anger at God of forgiving them. You see, the sin of Nineveh was particularly bad, especially towards Jonah and the people of God. Nineveh was the, the capital of uh, Assyria. It was this big bad empire of the known world and still studied today there's still lots of um, sort of people discovering what Assyria was like they're digging up um, parts of Nineveh and there's actually in the British Museum there's all these sort of artifacts and walls and paintings and drawings Um, but their war tactics were studied and still are and their military exploits they had uh, an ability to um, destroy their opponents and to, they were very violent, very oppressive, very territorial. Um, I read this comment um, from the British Museum about them this week. It said captured enemy leaders and rebels were displayed alongside spoils of war and publicly humiliated in triumphal parades. Some were forced to wear the heads of their accomplices around their necks. Others were chained to the gates of the cities like dogs or hitched up to the king's chariot like horses. And you can see in these pictures, these are actual pictures of the Ninevite, um, the Nineveh walls and gates that have been discovered in these archaeological digs over the last 150 years or so. And it depicts them sort of skinning enemies alive, impaling them on large sticks and having them posted around the city walls as sort of a warning to others. You can see on one of those photos there of, not a photo, one of those carvings or drawings there of uh, the heads being taken off soldiers and then stacked on like totem poles. It was brutal. And this was against the the people of God as well. And so when Jonah heard that he was to go to this city of Nineveh, to go to this violent, brutal enemy of his and to say what God's message was to them, knowing that God was a God who was a forgiving God, who was a God of mercy, You begin to understand and begin to appreciate why Jonah acted the way he did. In fact, we might even say he was justified in not wanting to go to Nineveh. In fact, if you or I were in the same position, chances are we would do exactly the same thing as Jonah. Then when we have someone who's done some horrible things towards us to go to them and express a message of of what God has for them, to give them an opportunity to turn around, to repent, and to receive forgiveness. It seems so far-fetched. It seems so um, unfair. But this is what is asked to do. And we went, when we read the story of Jonah, I think sometimes we miss this point. That Nineveh wasn't just a bad, sinful city. It wasn't just some of them had lost their way. They were the worst kinds of people. The most violent sorts of people. And again, the whole story of Jonah is full of extremes. And here it's no different. Nineveh is like the extreme of violence and sin. And so Jonah comes to Nineveh with this message and it's almost like he tries to sabotage his own prophecy. Turn or your city will be destroyed. And it's completely understandable. The reluctance he shows. You and I would probably be would probably be exactly the same and that's the point but Jonah in his reluctance is dealing with his own sin he's dealing with his own disobedience Jonah's sin is different to the Ninevites Ninevites sin it's not so violent and extreme but it's just as dependent on repentance and grace as the Ninevites he can't accept the idea that God might forgive Nineveh and want to restore them to himself and that's part of the sin that he faces and he willfully turns from God's plan for his life. And that's part of his sin as well. But God's grace runs deep in this book of Jonah, not just for the sailors in the first chapter, not just for the Ninevites in this chapter, but for Jonah himself. God's grace is for his friends, and God's grace is for his enemies. God shows grace to those that are walking with him And God shows grace to those that are walking away from him. Forgiveness is for you, but it's not just for you. So Jonah gives this message, and then we see the response. And it's quite dramatic. Verse 5, let's read this next little section together. The, The people of Nineveh believed God. Jonah didn't tell them about God, by the way. Just... It's a bit comical there, but they believed God. They saw that Jonah had given them a message and it must have been from God. So they proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. And when the the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth. And everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. Who would have thought that such a half-hearted, reluctant, terrible message would work and that this would be the response? You know, I sort of read this, um, this sermon and see the fruit of it and i'm sort of reminded of when you know when you've been practicing a new skill and you you think you're getting good at it and then someone tr- comes along and tries it for the very first time and they're just better than you right from the first time they try it i don't know if you've ever had that i do that again with basketball in the backyard I, I played basketball my whole life and sometimes you know if some friends come around or even if Alana comes out who didn't grow up playing basketball she'll get the ball throw it in first shot swish just like that And you sort of think why do i even bother why don't you bother doing that? If you can do it the first time and someone who doesn't know what they're doing can just come and do it, or um, well, they haven't practiced like I have. It's like how Jonah sees so much fruit in this one little sermon and such a terrible message that he brings. Maybe I should take up Jonah's um, mandate here and just use five words next Sunday. Preach. Well, i only take 10 seconds. John, I'm sure, will appreciate the editing process in that one. Um, maybe that would help. Maybe you'll get God's... No, I'm just joking. Sorry, I can't do that. I need more than five words. But Nineveh believe God. Nineveh turn around. You know, and when we see this idea that uh, um, it says the people of Nineveh believe God, you know, we don't really appreciate what that means. When we um, hear the word believe, we just think it's just a mental exercise. You know, like I believe that... The sky is blue, or I believe that the earth is not flat. Whatever you believe, I believe that Brad is the best preacher in the world. You know, those general sorts of things that we all believe. I'm joking. But belief is not just a mental exercise. It's a life decision. When when we believe something, when we believe in something, it changes how we live. If I believe that fire burns, I don't go near fire. I don't touch fire. When I believe in something, it changes the way I live. It's not just a mental exercise. That's not uh, what believing here means. When, when it says the Ninevites believed God, it means justice, that they turn their entire life around that belief system. They believe, so they repent. They turn and put their belief into action. And it talks about how they fast. And even the king you know, proclaims a fast that the, that the animals have to obey. It's like, well, just in case the sheep said a bad word, you know, they might need to repent as well. And I mean, it's just a, just a comedy, um, this book of, of things that are going on. But I love this picture before the, they do the re, um, get the animals to repent and fast. It says that the king gets off his throne I think that's just a great picture of what repentance really is. Saying to God, not what I want, but you take control. You call the shots. You're in charge. You determine truth. I've been doing what I think is right in my own eyes and my own experience. And this is true of all of us, isn't it? We do what's right um, in our own eyes. Well, we do what we think is right. Based on our own understanding and our own experience, we live in a way what we think is right. But when we come to a place of belief in God, we surrender that and we say, God, not what I think now, but what you think. I'm not going to live and determine truth by what I know and feel and what I experience, but I'm going to do it by what you tell me is truth and what you tell me is right. Even when I can't understand it, And I think this is one of the hardest things of walking out this Christian faith the way God calls us to, is there's some times and some things in our life where God calls us to believe and God calls us to act. God calls us to do certain things that we don't fully understand. We don't fully even agree with in our heart. I know that's true for me. There are certain truths and doctrines and beliefs that God calls us to that I'm not you know, fully wrap my head around and and totally understand. But what I do understand is that God's ways are higher than mine. That God knows more than I do. That his sense of justice is more developed than mine. That his love is greater than mine. That his truth is better than mine. And so I believe and I act accordingly even when I don't understand. And so the king of Nineveh and the people of Nineveh turn and they understand this, that God's ways are higher. That they believe him and turn their life around accordingly. They've been living and doing what they think is right, but now they're living in a way um, and understanding what God says is right. And as we think about this through, and as we understand this, we see that actually God sending Jonah to Nineveh was perhaps one of the greatest acts of love and judgment and mercy all in one. That God could have just left Assyria alone like Jonah wanted to because they were such terrible people. But because God loves people so much and he's in the business of restoration, he wanted to stop their injustice. He wanted to stop the way that they were living and the things that they were doing and turn them around and help them become more like the people that he had hoped for them. In verse 10, we'll wrap it up. Verse 10, God saw the actions that they had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. God saw the actions that they had turned from their evil ways, so he relented. You know, God gives grace. God gives you grace, he gives me grace, he gives Jonah grace, he gives the Ninevites grace. For us, God saw Jesus And that he had paid the price for our sin. And we get freedom instead of captivity. We get life instead of death. We get hope instead of disaster. We get grace. Others get grace. We get restored relationship. And this is really the heart of God. So I want to encourage you this morning, whatever place you find yourself, maybe you identify more with Jonah. And you need grace for not fulfilling the plan that God has for you. Maybe you've been half-hearted in your attempts of obedience. Maybe you've been struggling to forgive someone or um, struggling to accept that someone else might accept the forgiveness that God has for them because you think they don't deserve it. Or whether you identify more with the Ninevites. You've been living in a way that seems right to you, but you're ready to get off your throne and let God take the reign. I want to encourage you this morning, there's grace for you wherever you find yourself. There is forgiveness. There is opportunity for you to turn and come back to the Father. It doesn't matter if it's the first time or the 400th time. God's grace is there for you. And we're going to move into a time of communion now as we finish our time together this morning. And communion is this reminder of incredible grace and mercy. God coming for you. God pursuing you like he did for Jonah, like he did for the Ninevites. God's grace comes to you through Jesus and the finished work of the cross. And this morning I wanna encourage you as, as well that you might be sitting at home taking communion this morning. And you're not taking it alone. But we're all participating in this together. I want you to take a moment just to think of those in our church fellowship that you know, that you're friends with, that you sit next to normally on a Sunday morning if you're here in the building. The people in your small group. And they're taking communion right now in this moment with you. We stand together in unity this morning, remembering what Jesus has done for all of us, that we are all in the same position together. We all need a Saviour. We all need grace. No one needs grace more than another. We all need grace. We all need the forgiveness of Jesus. And we're unified by this grace. Our sins are forgiven. So this morning, if you've got your your juice or your wine or your bread or your biscuit or whatever you've got, I've got some juice and some fruitcake this morning as my communion. We're going to take communion together. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to participate together. God, this morning, we thank you for the life and death of Jesus. We thank you that we can know forgiveness. We can be restored in our relationship to, to you. And God, we pray this morning in these next few moments, that we won't remember the incredible gift that you have for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we take communion this morning, we're going to bring a song to you to help you reflect about this grace. Um, but I encourage you to take your, your juice or your, your drink and your bread, and we're going to take communion together. So if you've got your, your bread, let's eat it. Let's drink the juice together for the forgiveness of sins. i mm-hmm. this morning i pray that's been an encouraging moment for you that you remember how much jesus loves you how the father pursues you again and again thank you so much for joining us this morning and i pray you have a great week and we'll see you again next sunday